are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. In June 2021, we spoke to the brilliant John Gregory on the podcast and he gave us almost three hours of his time, which we cut into an episode lasting over two and a half hours, our longest ever upload. So we decided, for those that might not have had a chance to listen to the full thing, to share a few of our favourite stories from The Boss. If you've already heard them, enjoy them for a second time. There's some absolute belters in this one. Listen, listen, don't get me wrong. He bloody pushed me uh, on, a, on a Saturday morning. God, I hated him being there. Whatever I did was always the wrong thing. And he really gave me a really hard time. I could never, never seem to please him. So much so, Matt, that um, one week he wasn't there. And we lost 4-0. And uh, I went home and I saw my dad in the afternoon. He said, oh, how did you get on this morning? And I, I, didn't, have, I didn't have the heart to tell him that I'd lost 4-0 because I just knew that he would really sort of humiliate me and, and uh, chastise me. And uh, So I told him that we won 1-0. And he said, oh, that's good. He said, who scored? I said, I did. I scored a penalty. And we won 1-0. So he said, oh, OK, good. Um, and then, of course, he went down the pub on Sunday and uh, obviously saw all the other dads in the pub. You know, my dad's walked in and gone, oh, boys did well yesterday. And he said, what do you mean they done well? They got battered. He said, you're joking. And of course, my dad said that we'd won 1-0 and that my boy had scored the winner. He's winding you up. They lost 4-0. They were bloody useless, you know. So I never lied to him again about the result, I have to say. I'd worn nine outfield shirts. I'd worn the substitutes shirt as well, not worn the goalkeeper shirt, but I, I still needed number eight uh, to complete the set. And we played Liverpool at home on Easter Monday. Um, they came to, to Villa Park on uh, Easter Monday afternoon, three o'clock kickoff. And I wanted the number eight and Brian was injured. He didn't play that day. So I said to the gaffer, no, sorry, I said to Dennis Mortimer, can, I wear the, can you ask the gaffer for me if I can wear the number eight today? And he said, no, I'm not asking him. You can bloody ask him. So I, I was shit myself, actually. I didn't want to go and ask the gaffer because I thought it would be like him just to scrub my name off the team sheet completely and tell me to go home. So I kind of went up to him very sheepishly and, and asked him if I could wear the number eight shirt today because I said, boss, it's the only shirt I haven't worn and I'd like to wear it to complete the set. And he just said, yeah, OK, no problem. And that was it. So I wore the number eight. I played centre-half alongside Alan Evans wearing the number eight shirt on my back and, and that, that kind of completed the set and we won 3-1. If your contract had expired, you still belonged to the club and you couldn't leave without their permission. So the season, um, the season finished and at the end of every season, we used to sit at Bodymore in, in the canteen and there'd be a queue to have, you had to go and see the gaffer. The gaffer had, had organised um, all the players that, we're going to be uh, negotiating and talking about a new contract. And you had to go and see Ron. We didn't have agents in those days. It was just you. And you'd go in and uh, Ron would say to you, you've either got, you know, um, a £20 rise, a £50 rise, £100 rise. Um, going to give you a new contract, extend, extend your contract. And wh whatever Ron said, basically, you just nodded your head and agreed to it. <laughs> so I can remember us all sitting outside at the table and all saying that, well, how much are you going to ask for? And you'd say, oh, I'm going to tell him I'm, it's got to double my wages and all that. And of course, as soon as you went in there, you didn't say a word. Ron just told you what you were getting, if anything, and you just nodded your head, accepted it and went out. Muller yogurts were the sponsors first day i went to the training ground jim paul kit man 
bless his heart, God bless him. I loved, I loved him to bits, mate. I loved him to bits. He come up, he said, "Oh, come down." He said, "I've got, I've got all your gear." So I went down to his office, and he gave me like three black bin liners full of kit. And then he said, "Do you want a yogurt?" And he pointed across to me. There's, there was like about thirty trays of of um, of these Muller yogurts. You know, he said, "Do you want, do you want any of these?" He said, "Take a few home." You know, so. Within within a couple of weeks, my I, I actually bought another fridge from my garage because <laughs> I was just taking home, and we had a queue at our front door. You know, my, my son was coming over, my daughter was coming, and next door neighbours all coming to pick up. I was taking orders. You know, they're saying, "Oh, can you, can't you bring us some of the the chocolate ones?" You know, so we had mullet yogurts everywhere, like Del Boys. You know, like Del Boys flat. Uh, you lift up a cushion on the sofa there was like half a dozen mother yogurts and i remember this one morning we went to trading and it was it was about a, a day or two days just before the final at wembley against leeds united we had a sort of eight nine aside one of the goalkeepers had a bit of a knock so jim paul went in goal big fat jim who's about 20 stone he went in goal uh paul mcgrath didn't want to train because Paul was God, as you know. We used to say to Paul, do you want to train? And he'd say, are we playing five-a-side? And we'd say, no. He said, well, I don't want to train. He wouldn't train if there was any running involved. <laughs> so he didn't train that morning. He didn't want to train that morning. Uh, somebody else didn't want to train because he had a bit of a knock. And, and so we ended up, I think Jim Walker played. And we ended up having this game. And uh, I said, Jim Paul was in one of the goals. And it was just a mess about. And we, we played for about 40 minutes. It was real good fun. Everyone had a good laugh and we scored some goals. He got a bit of a sweat on, you know, and, and then we went back. We went back, had a wash, all had a shower and that. And then we had lunch and game of snooker. End of. That was it. That was training for the day. As you know, we went on to win the game 3-0. Uh, but the story that comes with that is that we were being watched. We found out uh, six months or so later, Howard had actually got somebody to come and watch us training. <laughs> Okay, and he stayed. At, he stayed at the Selsden Park Hotel, and he had to report back to Howard who had lunch, what they had for lunch, who got up and had breakfast, what did, what did they do, how many of them were playing snooker. He had to follow us to the training ground, and he said, "Your kit." I had to go back and tell Howard Wilkinson that the kit man played in goal this morning. <laughs> Paul McGrath just sat on the side doing nothing, eating an, uh, an orange and an apple or something. He just sat on the side. And honestly, he had to go back and report all these things to him. And, and, that's, and we went and obviously played the game one 3 nil, and, and it could have been 6 nil. The lady come over, she said, oh, um, there's a telephone call for you, Mr. Gregory. So I said, okay, who is it? And she said, I don't know, it's, it's a lady. So I went, oh, okay. So I went across to the phone thinking it must be home. This lady said at the other end, hello, Johnny. And when she said, hello, Johnny, there's only one person that ever called me Johnny, and that was Marion Stringer, which is Doug's personal secretary. And she said, hello, Johnny. And I, you know, you know, like a million things go through my mind. Why is she calling me? I, I had absolutely no idea. She, why would she call me? It's half past five at night. And um, she said, hello, Johnny. I said, Marion. She said, yes. She said, um, Steve is looking for you. And she always called Steve Strice. She always called him Stevie. She said, Steve is looking for you. I said, why is he looking for me? She said, haven't you heard the news? And I said, no, I, 
I've no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so as I said, what do you mean he's looking for me? She said, well, he, he's in Bristol. He's trying to find your hotel. He's actually sat outside our hotel. He said, I'm sat outside. He said, have you heard the news? And I said, no. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I'll come out. I'll come out and, and see you. So anyway, I've gone outside, seen his car, jumped in the front seat of his car. And he said, um, so I said, well, what, what are you doing here for? What are you here for? And he said, um, Brian's walked out today. He's left us right in the so I said, what do you mean he's walked out? He said, he's resigned this morning. I said, you're joking. So then I'm looking at him thinking, what are you doing here? And he said, we want you to come back. So I said, oh, yeah, but why? I said, well, what else? Thinking, you know, he wants me to come back because somebody else is taking over as a manager. They maybe want you to come back as a coach. And he said, no, we want you to come back as a manager. So I said for how long thinking maybe he just wants me for a couple of weeks until they find somebody I, I i just couldn't believe or even begin to establish in my brain that they actually want me to come back as the full-time manager it just it wasn't registering that you know at all my, my brain was just on fire I, I, it was fried you know i had no conception of what he was actually saying to me Yorkie at that particular time, I, I, I built the team around him. He would play and then 10 others would play with him. I was then getting pestered by Sir Alex about him. Mark Bosnitz had signed for Manchester United. So he was in, him and Yorkie were big mates. He was in Yorkie's ear all the time, trying to get him to go to, to Old Trafford. And all that summer, I, I resisted calls from, from uh, Sir Alex. And they started sending offers for him by fax machine we got an offer at eight million and i think doug would have sold him there and then that day <laughs> eight million pounds john <laughs> quick sell him sell him quick and i thought no you can't sell me this is my best player and my whole team is built around this guy he's he's gonna get us in the top four next season he's gonna do this he's gonna do that we can't let him go uh, he came into my office and and he said that that sentence i don't want to play for aston villa anymore and I was insulted. I, I, I took it really personally. I considered us to be a big club, one of the biggest clubs in the country. And he was saying that he didn't want to play for us. And I was incredibly hurt by it. When, when I used to sit and watch Match of the Day, and um, Match of the Day, really, match, there wasn't much else on. You'd see uh, in the Premier League, you'd see in the Premier League, somebody had just, um, uh, had just let a goal in. Uh, the goalkeeper had, had dropped it or something or given it to the striker. Striker scores and they get beat 1-0. And then the manager came on and they'd say, well, what do you think then about that uh, that mistake by your goalkeeper? You know, And they'd say, well, well, you know, these kind of things happen and um, I, I'm sure he'll be disappointed. And I should think, disappointed? <laughs> I'd want to punch whatever. I want to knock him out, you know, if he was my goalkeeper. And I just used to see them coming on and I just think, you know, why don't you just be a little bit more honest, be a little bit more open? And I think that once I, and I kind of promised myself that, that, that if ever I was put in that situation, I'd try and be a little bit more open and, and, and a little bit more upfront about, you know, how I'm actually feeling, you know, um, I've just lost three on the trot. Oh, how are you feeling? You know, um, <laughs> And, and so I, I wanted to, I just wanted to be a little bit more forthright, a little bit more open.
The chairman of Brighton wouldn't recognise him if he was stood on Brighton Beach in a team strip with a seagull on his head and a ball in his hand. A ball under his arm, yeah. That was Gareth. I mean, it was 100% correct because Gareth Barry came to us with Michael Standing, two boys from Brighton Youth uh, Department, and uh, Gareth Barry had been substitute once for their youth team. He hadn't played for their youth team. He came to us and like, obviously on his 17th birthday, he signed a professional contract. And we still hadn't settled up with, with Brighton for his, um, for his compensation. And I think we offered £50,000 for the two of them, which was a lot of money at the time, considering that Gareth hadn't even played. Um, he hadn't even started a game for their youth team. And within sort of six months, Gareth Berry had come to us, played in and my first team at Sheffield Wednesday, made his debut. Uh, started the new season in uh, August 98 at Everton. He played up against Duncan Ferguson and was uh, was brilliant. And suddenly my little Gareth Barry that had just played substitute once for Brighton, um, Brighton were now saying, oh, he's the best player we've ever had. Yes, we, we had him since he was eight years old. Um, um, in fact, we signed him when he was uh, still in his mother's tummy, you know, in... Um, <laughs> in uh, 1997 and uh and we want we want two million quid their chairman wouldn't know who gareth barry is trust me and that that was that little outburst um but yes there was a few of them i don't know if you remember benny carboni had a pair of gold boots and uh i took him off i think middle of the second half anyway he got the gold boots and at the end of the game he ran over to the villa fans and threw him threw the boots in and they threw him back at him <laughs> Is that true? Did they, they didn't really, that's did true. they? No, that's true. He had these gold boots. And I thought, I mean, when I first saw him, I thought, what are you doing with gold boots? Just wear your normal boots, like, you, you know, that, you, that got you here. But he's got these gold boots. I think mean, someone gave him a couple of grand to wear them in the final. And he threw them in the crowd and threw them back. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue and Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your thoughts and comments. We'll be back soon with another episode. But until then, up the villa. Thank you